It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of disturbing topics, including the sexual abuse of children and the murder of two girls. This episode also contains some profanity. There's been a lot of talk about the Delphi murders lately. People who follow the case all around the world, people who live in Delphi and Peru and other nearby communities in Indiana, they all have questions. People want to know what's going on with Kagan Klein's court activity, why his trial for charges related to child sexual abuse materials keeps getting pushed back. Going back even further, people want to know why exactly Kagan Klein, and by extension his father Tony, were seemingly dropped as a lead back in 2017, only to come back into focus much later. They want to know if any outsiders have come in to help the agencies in this case. 
namely the Delphi Police, the Carroll County Sheriff's Department, the Indiana State Police, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We have a few answers to some of those questions, reporting that we'll be sharing with you in this episode. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burgershev murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the murder sheet. And this is the Delphi Murders, an 1100-foot view. First, let's talk about a single afternoon in the ongoing Delphi case. Ultimately, through our coverage, we seek to provide the public with inside knowledge of the investigation and all its angles, nuances, and new developments. Typically, getting off the ground helps you get a better perspective. So let's start with a helicopter ride. You see, Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter was up and down the Hoosier State on July 20th, 2022. His mode of transportation? A chopper owned by the state of Indiana. Around 12.31 p.m. on that particular Wednesday, he took off from an airport not far from where we live. Ani and I might have even heard that helicopter overhead without realizing it. The latter portion of Superintendent Carter's July 20th itinerary is public knowledge. Lakeshore Public Radio's Michael Gallenberger reported on the trip to Gary, an Indiana city which sits on the shore of Lake Michigan, east of downtown Chicago. Gary was once an industrial hub. Now it struggles with poverty and violence. Don't take our word for it. In 2020, the city had a population of around 75,000. That same year, Gary police reported that they had 49 homicides. They cleared zero homicides that year. For comparison's sake, let's bring in the city of Hammond. Hammond sits next to Gary in Indiana's Lake County and has a similar population size. Hammond police reported five homicides in 2020. They cleared one homicide that year. So, that is the backdrop for Superintendent Carter's arrival at 1.59 p.m. Central Time. Shortly thereafter, he headed to a joint press conference with representatives of the Gary Police Department and the Lake County Prosecutor's Office. In 2020, the police chief of Gary, Indiana, was fired after just half a year on the job. 
Fox 32 Chicago reported that Brian Evans took over as interim chief. At this recent press conference, Superintendent Carter and other officials spoke about Gary's nationwide search for a new police chief, ISP's procedural review of the department, and subjects like de-escalation training and the accountability afforded by police body cameras. But Gary wasn't the only spot where Superintendent Carter touched down that day. We can exclusively report that he also stopped in Peru, Indiana, earlier in the afternoon. That is to say, the seat of Miami County, the hometown of both Kegan Klein and his father, Tony, the very place where Kegan Klein is currently facing charges around child sexual abuse materials. To get to Peru, the chopper flew north, crossing over Indianapolis. In the first few minutes of the trip, the aircraft hovered around 1,700 feet, zooming along at around 170 miles per hour, approximately. Then, for some reason, the helicopter slowed to around 30 miles per hour, dropped down to 1,100 feet, and seemingly spun around before accelerating again and continuing on to its destination. That could just be as simple as the pilot positioning the helicopter to avoid oncoming air traffic. Or perhaps the pilot could have hovered to give the occupants a good view of something totally innocuous. But it just struck us as an odd detail, because this drop in speed and altitude seemingly happened directly over the Tipton Transmission Plant, which is near the intersection of State Road 28 and U.S. Route 31, as in the Stellantis plant. Remember, Tony Klein works at Stellantis, the parent company of Chrysler. As far as we know, Tony Klein worked at the plants up in Kokomo, not Tipton. So this may just be a coincidence, but it still seemed a bit weird. And in case you were wondering, there was no such dip in altitude or speed in the flight from Peru to Gary. Although at that Gary press conference, Superintendent Carter did share this anecdote. It was pushed for time the day that the mayor wanted to sit and talk uh, talk with us, so I, fl- I flew in on one of our helicopters. And I only say that because it was an extraordinary moment in my lifetime. Because the last time I was here, I remember the hotel that was directly south of the PD. And it, it, it was not what I remember Gary being. So as we came in, the hotel had been demolished. Just, this was just four or five months ago. And I said to the pilot, stop. Stop. You can't really stop a helicopter, but slow it down and hover for a minute. And I looked down from City Hall to the south... And what I saw was extraordinary. And I hope everybody in the city understands this and and tries to picture it. What I saw was green space. Before we disembark in Peru, perhaps it makes sense to discuss the helicopter's most high-profile passenger, Superintendent Doug Carter himself. Carter worked as a state trooper for years, starting in 1984. In May of 2002, he won the Republican primary for the Hamilton County Sheriff's race, according to the Indianapolis Star. He would go on to serve two terms. There's something else we can say about Carter. He recently viewed an hours-long PowerPoint centering around the Kleins, both Kagan and his father Tony, and the Delphi case. That presentation made the case for the Kleins' involvement in the murders. 
So the state police chopper landed in Peru at 1.07 p.m. Eastern, to be precise. Superintendent Carter went there for reasons that touch upon the Delphi case, the double murder of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, which has remained unsolved since February 2017. While there, the ISP superintendent attended a meeting in the Miami County Prosecutor's Office. They're handling the prosecution of Kegan Klein on child sexual abuse materials charges. The younger Klein is currently facing 30 charges in total. A well-connected source in law enforcement with access to the superintendent told us that one of the topics discussed was Carter's view that it is crucial that the Kegan Klein case go to trial and not be pled out. While the plea bargain process is a crucial part of the justice system, Carter seems to believe that it is important that Kagan Klein's case actually go to trial. There may be a strategic reason for this, which Carter believes could assist the Delphi investigators. Carter even offered to connect Miami County with a prosecutor from another county to provide more legal manpower. Before we moved on, we wanted to note that we are always interested in hearing from more people who have information they want to share about this investigation, especially people in law enforcement. As a reminder, we always protect our sources and will keep you completely confidential. Please reach out to us at murdersheet at gmail.com. That takes us to our next subject, the Kagan Klein trial. There's been a ton of speculation around Kagan Klein leveraging his connection to the Delphi case to mitigate the charges he's currently facing. In other words, that he'll divulge critical facts about the Delphi murders in order to secure a plea deal. If that's true, then it's not something we've heard from any of our sources. We have a line into the investigation, but we don't pretend to know everything about this case. So, just because we haven't heard something doesn't mean it's not happening. Frankly, though, we've reviewed the transcripts of the 2020 police interview with Kagan Klein. That gets into Kagan Klein's child sexual abuse materials charges in depth. The detectives in that transcript outlined a litany of disturbing activities that took place on Kagan Klein's devices, including horrific search terms, and disgusting images of the sexual exploitation of children. That's to say nothing of the fact that Kegan Klein's Anthony Schatz account was in contact with Liberty German shortly before the murders. And how did Kegan Klein respond to these accusations? Well, he offered explanations that either made no sense or ones that fell apart under the slightest pressure. If he's to be believed... Whenever he was in a drug-induced stupor, his friends and acquaintances would take his devices and use them to search for and view child sexual abuse materials. Again. And again. Such an event happening once seems somewhat implausible. Having that happen multiple times, largely it seems in the confines of the Klein household in Peru, Indiana, seems very difficult to imagine. So, by all accounts, authorities aren't playing around with Kagan Klein. If convicted, he's going to prison for a long time. We don't get the sense that the very serious charges against him are being used as some sort of bargaining chip. He's in deep trouble. That being said, we've heard talk from sources, plural, 
that a few charges may fall away before Kagan Klein's trial. If that happens, we imagine there'll be a hue and cry online about how the case is falling apart or about how a deal that will bust the Delphi case wide open is imminent. But in fact, the winnowing of charges is a pretty common occurrence in cases like this. Remember, Kagan Klein is facing 30 charges. Let's take a moment to read them all out to get a better sense of the magnitude of what he's up against. Two counts of synthetic identity deception. Three counts of obstruction of justice. One count of child exploitation with intent to arouse or satisfy sexual desires. Four counts of child exploitation enhanced by an aggravating factor. Two counts of child exploitation, disseminating, exhibiting, or offering to do so. Nine counts of possession of child pornography. Seven counts of possession of child pornography with an aggravating factor. One count of possession of child pornography, the possession of photos, etc., showing sexual conduct. One count of child solicitation. Our understanding from our sources is that if a handful of those charges don't make it to the trial, it's most likely due to technicalities around how comfortable the prosecution feels about the certainty of specific pieces of evidence. Let's be clear about what exactly that means. When a prosecutor files a charge against someone, he must be prepared to prove every element of that charge in court. Most of the counts against Kagan Klein involve him in some manner possessing sexually oriented images of underage females. That means that the prosecutor must not only prove that Kagan Klein possessed those images, but also that those images in fact depicted females who were underage. Well, it is relatively easy to tell that, say, a 7 or 8 year old female is underage. But what if the images show someone a bit older, like, say, 16 or 17? A person of that age could often easily pass for someone 18 or 19. If you do not have the birth certificate of the person in the picture, it could therefore be difficult to prove that the image is of someone actually underage. And if the prosecution cannot definitively offer that proof, they are, of course, obliged to drop those specific charges. From what we hear, it seems quite likely that a handful of the charges against Kagan Klein might fall into that sort of category. If that proves true, then those few charges will end up being dropped. So keep in mind, if it comes to that, it's not a matter of going easy on Kagan Klein, or even an attempt at deal-making, or an indication of the overall health of the case against him. If there are a few withered limbs of your tree, you must prune those to allow the healthy branches to flourish. So if that happens and a few charges get dropped, Kagan Klein is still facing a world of trouble. He will continue to languish in jail until his court date finally rolls around. All the while, his father remains a free man. Kagan Klein appears to be making a few moves of his own, though. On August 1st, 2022, Kagan Klein filed a motion for a continuance. In the filing, his attorney, Andrew Aikie, wrote that the defendant is in the process of exploring other legal options. Prosecutor Peter Dietrichs did not object to this, 
so the judge granted the motion on August 3rd, 2022. Kegging jury trial had been scheduled for September. Now it's been moved back to January 2023. All of this prompted a lot of speculation about deals and whatnot. As we previously talked about, this seems somewhat unlikely. Our sources do tell us that Kegan Klein may be on the lookout for a new attorney. We reached out to Aki for comment and did not hear back. We will note that he was also the attorney for Ron Logan, who also came under suspicion in the Delphi case back in March of 2017. Obviously, any person accused of a serious crime, any crime really, deserves representation. That's how our system works. But as we said, we don't think a new attorney will necessarily help Keg and Klein out much. We imagine that, for all his apparent ability to deny reality, he likely knows that on some level. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes, like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises, are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here's a bit of information that we uncovered through a records request. A rather high-profile true crime figure offered to come in and take a look at the evidence in the Delphi case. Paul Holes previously worked as an investigator for California's Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office. 
He became a well-known figure in the true crime world after he and other officials successfully worked to identify Joseph D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer using DNA genealogy technology. His podcast, Jensen and Holes, The Murder Squad, was recently canceled after Me Too allegations surfaced about his co-host, Billy Jensen. Holes is no stranger to the Delphi case. He's made comments about the murders for quite some time, in fact. At CrimeCon in 2019, he told Oxygen that investigators looking into Delphi talked with him after news of the arrest of D'Angelo broke in 2018. Knowing a little bit about that case, because I briefly consulted with one of the investigators short, shortly after the Golden State Killer case, I know that they have a they have a tough investigation ahead, and they're doing everything they possibly can to try to get that case solved. Then, in 2020, he participated in Scene of the Crime, a podcast that dedicated its first season to the Delphi case. On June 19, 2022, Holes posed for a photo on the abandoned bridge that Abby and Libby walked on before their murders. The post contained no caption, and at the time, we wondered whether or not Holes was teasing a larger project on the case. Well, as it turns out, a few months ago, Holes reached out to state police through an intermediary. Barbara McDonald, a journalist from HLN who has covered the Delphi case, offered to connect state police with Paul Holes and Holes' former partner in the Golden State Killer case, Steve Kramer. That was in March of 2022. Note that Holes also works for HLN. Paul shares my passion and yours for finding the person who committed this horrific crime and bringing them to justice, McDonald wrote. A state police representative politely declined the offer, noting, I appreciate your and everyone's interest in this investigation. I know that investigators from our Unified Command have had communication with Mr. Holes in the past. Unified Command and our laboratory division is constantly looking for new technology and investigative techniques that may assist us with our investigation. Unfortunately, there is nothing that Mr. Holes or anyone else can offer at this time that we haven't already tried or accomplished thus far. We reached out to McDonald, Holes, and HLN and have not heard back yet. It was not necessarily a mistake to turn down Holes' offer to help. We just don't know enough about the scope of evidence in this case to make a judgment either way. It certainly sounds like Holes and investigators in the Delphi case were in touch at some point either way. As much as we'd like to think of an experienced investigator with a good track record coming in to help out, it's possible there's simply nothing more to do right now. But in the course of our coverage of this case, we have heard about other incidents that do sound like real mistakes. Specifically, decisions on the part of authorities around Keg and Klein. There's an unexplained gap in this case right now, between when the Kleins first hit the investigation's radar and seemingly when any significant action was taken regarding Keg and Klein's child sexual abuse materials charges. Let's return to the August 2020 transcript of the interview between Keg and Klein, Detective Vito, and Deputy Clinton. That interview has some key details about what exactly happened between the Kleins and the investigators looking into the Delphi murders in 2017. 
Notably, Kagan Klein said that he talked to a lady, presumably an investigator, back in 2017 about this problem he admitted he had. The problem being his predication for child sexual abuse materials and talking to underage girls online. Later, Vito says, Kegan, you lied to the investigators three years ago. You're lying. And Kegan Klein asks, quite tellingly, Okay, well then, why did they, why would it take three years for them to come and get me? What do you mean? We feel that is a question that has lingered on the minds of almost everyone who follows this case. Why did it take Kegan Klein years to land in that interview room with the detectives? Let's go through this transcript again and see if we can try to piece this together. Once again, Anya will be reading the words from the true investigators, while I will be reading Kagan Klein's responses. Because you don't understand. Does that make any sense? Like, he told you how big this investigation is. I mean, this is well, a lot of child porn. The investigators went on to say, that just based on the level 4 child exploitation charges Kagan Klein was facing, he should expect to land 45 years in prison. Detective Vito also brought up that an Apple iPhone 5C was Kagan Klein's main device. It was actually labeled Kagan's phone. This was the one that you turned into the state police after the search warrant was served. As if you and the names on there, I mean, what I need you to understand, and where the obstruction comes in of Justice 2 on your charges here, is that device shows everything you did, okay? Right. So when you're done with the polygraph and you went home, you were done with the polygraph at 7.30, okay? Went back home. At 9.19, you found the phone, right? Right. You found that they had left the phone, right? Yeah. Where'd you find it? Uh, it was in the kitchen somewhere. Okay, so... Yeah, it was like on top of the microwave, I think. Okay, so you found it on top of the microwave. Yeah. Then what did you do? What do you mean? What did you do after you found your phone? I, uh, I think pretty sure I had my dad call the State Department, or maybe I did. I can't remember. Okay, when do you think he did that? I think it was the next day, maybe. Or, yeah, I think it was the next day. So why wouldn't you call right away and say, hey? I don't even think I found it that night. I'm not sure. You just said you got home and you found it on the microwave. Well, I'm saying that's where I found it. Not right when I got home. I can't remember. Okay. If it was that night or the next day. Well, I'm going to tell you that after your polygraph, when you got home, you found the phone on the microwave, like you said. I think that was the, the most honest statement you made right here today, was what you just said. You went home, you found the phone on your microwave, and at 919... You uninstalled Snapchat, and you deleted it from the phone. Uh, and then right after that, you uninstalled Instagram and deleted it from the phone. And then the next day, on the 26th, you uninstalled and deleted Meet Me from the phone. Okay, so let's pause right there. What does the 26th refer to? Well, consider the fact that the FBI raided the Klein home on Saturday. February 25th, 2017. That was just a little under two weeks after the murders of Abby and Libby. We know that from the Journal and Courier article about the raid and its timing. So we assume that the investigators and Kegan Klein are referring to February 26th, 
2017. Now a bigger picture is starting to form. Investigators looking into Delphi knew about Keg and Klein very early on. I think we can make the educated guess that they came upon his messages with Liberty German through the Anthony Schatz account. In addition to his tendency of catfishing underage girls online, they also knew about his interest in child sexual abuse materials. They had his phones and devices, and he also talks in the transcript about a female investigator who encouraged him to seek help for that. But there were some things they seemingly did not know. They must have not known that Kegan Klein did not turn his main iPhone in along with his other devices during the raid. That he instead hung on to that phone for another day, deleting evidence before handing it over. They seemingly did not realize then what they know now, that the Anthony Schatz angle was a very important one. Because in the Journal and Courier article, which was written on February 25, 2017, the day of the raid, FBI Special Agent Bob Ramsey gave a stunning comment. He said, presumably talking about Keg and Klein, We in no way believe he is connected to the murder of those girls. This is a forceful statement, especially when a simple no comment or we are looking into multiple angles would suffice. Typically, investigators rely on those vague, hand-wavy statements because clearing people too quickly could upset a case. So we now view those comments from Ramsey with renewed interest. Right. And then you, un- you-, you installed Snapchat again, checked it to make sure it got deleted. Everything got deleted. And then you deleted and uninstalled it again. And then it wasn't until two days later you called the state police and said, Oh, hey, by the way. Well, I wasn't making sure it was deleted. I deleted the account. So? I deleted the meet me. I deleted all those accounts. So why'd you delete that? Because like he said, it was the most real wake-up call I ever had in my life. So, I mean, you know, went home and deleted it. I deleted the meet me, everything. Okay, and... When you also knew the contents of everything on there would be removed as well. What? Uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, I I didn't know that, but... But you said it was the biggest wake-up call, so obviously... Yeah, I mean, like, hey, I need to... Stop? Really change my fucking life here. Stop talking to girls underage? Yeah, exactly. Which you admitted to talking. Yeah. So let's get into more details around the initial investigation into Kagan Klein. And then you realize that law enforcement obviously would want it, so... Yeah. Okay, so what I'm trying... Well, not even that law enforcement would want it. Just that they missed it, you know what I mean? I didn't want them to think like I'm trying to hide stuff from them or something. By deleting the stuff before you gave it in. Turned it in? Well, I mean, I deleted the account, so yeah, I guess it did delete the stuff. But that wasn't my, my point. Later on... So why didn't you... Why didn't you tell this to investigators when they talked to you originally? Because none of this was brought. Because? Up. They didn't tell me, you know what I mean? I have no, well, I mean I had no clue there was little kid stuff on there. Me and the lady talked about it, and I told her, yeah, I had a problem, and she, you know, we talked about everything. Later on, Kagan Klein tried to claim that he had no idea that his father knew that he was talking to underage girls. Well, what would I mean? Well, what would I mean? What would you see as the point where your dad would never talk to you again? 
talking to underage girls like that. Would be just... Yeah. What? I mean, after this, I mean, he'll never talk to me again, so... And I mean, he obviously knew in 2017. No, he didn't. I never told him. No, but I mean, we did. Oh, you did? Yeah, and we... You talked to him and everything? Well, we, not as in us, but, you know, law enforcement did. And they even told you that they... Before you left for your polygraph, she told you, hey, just to know, we told your dad all of this, and you said... I don't remember her saying that. You said... I was in so much... So what What was the conversation like when you got home with dad after your polygraph? Kegan Klein said his dad was crying and freaking out when he got home. He said, you know what I mean? They raided my house. You know what I mean? Like, that's a really traumatic, like, experience. So we already have some key indicators that Kegan Klein deceived investigators in 2017. Before we share more about what we've heard from sources close to the investigation... Let's go back to Superintendent Carter. We mentioned how he's taken on a very public role in the case. He's talked a lot about the murders, oftentimes somewhat vaguely. Sometimes, though, his words seem to convey a certain message. We are going to share with you some of the comments Carter has made over the years. They seem pretty clear and straightforward to us, but we recognize it is possible that we have misinterpreted his words. If the superintendent believes that is the case, we hope he makes clarifying comments either to us or to another outlet. We also realize that even a skilled communicator can sometimes misspeak when talking in an interview or press conference. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Let's review a past statement from the superintendent himself. Here is a clip from back in 2018 that was recently posted on Reddit by user Alt Just for Questions. The beginning of this audio may be a bit unclear. It is a reporter asking Superintendent Carter if anyone had been cleared in the Delphi case. Again, this is from 2018, a year after the raid on the Klein home. Have you been able to clear anybody in this case? I, um... I think that the people that we've that we have talked to at this point in time, we feel confident that um, there was no involvement. 
If we take Superintendent Carter at his word here, he just told us that the Kleins were cleared. Remember, he made this statement in 2018, a year after the police talked with Kagan Klein. Why was Doug Carter telling the world that Kagan Klein had been cleared? To answer that, we have to go back to the beginning, to the Klein's initial interactions with law enforcement in this case. According to our sources, the Kleins misled law enforcement to create the impression that the two of them were actually in Las Vegas at the time of the murders. This was not true. But law enforcement took their word for it, and so apparently did not bother to try to confirm it. It is worth noting that the Kleins may have even manipulated their social media posts to give the false appearance that they were out of town when Libby and Abby were killed. When the Kleins first came on the public radar, amateur sleuths on Reddit and elsewhere almost immediately pointed out that Kagan Klein's Facebook profile contained posts with false dates, posts which placed him far from Delphi at the time of the killings. It was easy for even non-professionals to confirm the fake posts. Basically, all you need to do was click through the posts. That is what we have learned from sources close to the investigation. According to our source, several years later, a couple of Indiana State Police investigators reviewed records and discovered the truth. The Kleins had not been in Vegas at the time of the murders. This discovery may have led to the much ballyhooed New Direction press conference. The fact that the Kleins' deception worked on authorities had disastrous results. It led authorities to all but clear the Kleins of involvement. You have heard what Special Agent Ramsey of the FBI told the Journal and Courier. And that led to literally years of wasted time and effort. That is not simply us giving a harsh assessment. That comes from Doug Carter himself. Listen to what he said in 2019. I, I really believe that over time we're going to have an idea that we were onto something early on. In that comment... Carter admits that the police turned away from what he now recognizes is the most valuable lead. And listen to what he had to say at the 2019 New Direction press conference. Please be, be patient with us, please. Uh, we're just beginning. We are, we are just now beginning. At that point, remember, Libby and Abby had already been dead for two years. The state had given Doug Carter's Indiana State Police a wealth of resources to enable them to investigate the crime. And by Carter's own admission, all of that time and effort had essentially been for nothing, because only then, in 2019, were they truly beginning their investigation. This is quite a concession of failure. Let's share one more quote. This one from an Indiana State Police press release issued back in December of 2021. Like so many other pieces of this investigation, we will always review, learn from, and make any necessary adjustments. We do not believe that any person has done anything intentionally wrong, but we will continue to critically evaluate our efforts. With the benefit of hindsight, it seems clear that this release is describing exactly what we have just related to you. Someone made the crucial error of believing the Kleins. It was not an intentional error, but it was costly all the same. 
It was discovered much later when investigators reviewed the case. Of course, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know for certain what agency or persons made the mistake. From the sound of the Journal and Curie article, it appears that the FBI was at least somewhat involved in the decision-making process, which led to de-emphasizing the Klein lead. Did they lead the investigation in the wrong direction? Is there any one person or agency who bears responsibility for this misstep? Or were things far more complicated than that? Is it possible that our sources don't have a few key mitigating details that could explain things much better? We can't say specifically. We just don't know. We gave ISP an opportunity to respond. We outlined what we'd heard and asked them to explain or correct the record if our sources had it wrong. They indicated they had no comment to make. We hope they will eventually, to us or other outlets, because we feel that Kagan Klein being allowed to remain a free man after his heinous crimes against children was a grave error, no matter what the circumstances. And we feel the public has a right to those answers. All the information that we've shared with you in this episode possibly gives us an indicator of where things are in the case. For a while there, starting with the December 2021 ISP announcement about Anthony's shots, it seemed like there was a flurry of information about the direction of the investigation. Things are a bit quieter now that we've reached August 2022. This episode is part of our ongoing effort to provide the public with a glimpse behind the scenes. The murders of Abby and Libby have sparked perhaps the most high-profile investigation going on in Indiana today. So we feel that residents of Indiana and others who care about this case are owed as much information as possible, with the exception of specific case details that could be used to identify a perpetrator. We also feel that without hearing directly from police, it can appear like nothing is happening. But we know that is simply not true. Even when the surface of this case is as still as a placid pond, you can rest assured that there are swirling currents in the depths below. But there is also the matter of public accountability that informs our coverage. In true crime, there's a cliche that holds that if a case is not solved in the first 48 hours, its chances of being cleared go down dramatically. We try not to rely on old cliches, though. So how about this? If a high-profile case that has seemingly enjoyed a wealth of resources, manpower, and media attention is unsolved after five years, and the authorities have nothing by way of an explanation, that indicates that something is wrong, and we do not feel that it is unfair to say that that is not good. In 2019, as you have heard, Superintendent Carter said the state police were just beginning their work. He asked for patience. Two years into the investigation. Two years after Abby and Libby were murdered. And now here we are, over three years since Carter announced the investigation's belated beginning. Over five years have passed since Abby and Libby walked those trails, never to return. Five long years that their families and their friends and the community of Delphi have waited for answers. Justice has eluded this case for five years. For five years, the killer has not had to answer for his heinous crimes. The time for patience is over. If you have information about the murders of Liberty German and Abigail Williams, please contact the tip line at 
Abby and Libby Tip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F dot com or call the tip line at 765-822-3535. If you have a tip about Kegan or Tony Klein that you'd like to pass on to the murder sheet, email murdersheet at gmail.com, but please go to the police first. You can also reach out to us if you have any other information about the investigation. We protect our sources. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murder sheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murder sheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on the murder sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the murder sheet, please leave us a five star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.